Moses, the way of an intercessor. Lesson six. Father, we thank you once again for your word. You said in the multitude of counselors are safety, Father, and we have a multitude of counsel that we find here in the midst of your word. So we thank you, Father, that we have that to go to anytime we want, and that we also have your Holy Spirit who's come to tabernacle within us to teach us, to guide us, to show us things to come. We thank you, Father, that indeed your spirit and your word always do agree. After all, he's the one that wrote it as you moved upon people, Father. So Lord, help us now as we look into this next lesson to glean from it what you would have us to glean, to understand from it what you would have us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray and we trust you to help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at the principle of displacement. I just barely introduced it as we left. I'm going to go back to Exodus 23 and and read here... uh, where God said in verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep and guard you on the way, and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Give heed to him, listen to and obey his voice. Be not rebellious before him or provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you will indeed listen to and obey his voice and all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemy and an adversary to your adversaries. So God gives this promise flat out categorically to his people. He said, if you'll listen to me and just walk in my ways, he said, I promise you, I'll be an enemy to your enemies. He said, I'll be an adversary to your adversaries. And he says in verse 23, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I reject them and blot them out. In other words, God speaks, what you have to see in verses like this is God speaks of certain things as if they were foregone conclusions. In other words, you need to hear it. God just says, when the issue with me, he says, is after I've driven out all these peoples, after I've blot out these peoples, now he's about to say, again, guys, I'm going to do this because I always fulfill what I say I'm going to do. I will definitely bring these people underneath your heel. I'll put them underfoot for you if you'll walk in obedience to me. He said, but once you do that, once you come into the lands where those things are, he said, don't bow down to their gods or serve them or do after their works, but utterly overthrow and break down their pillars and their images. Again, I don't want to get off the focus here, but this is why so many people, I don't think, well, I know some people will never enter into the fullness of the blessing of God because once they do, the very, the very blessing of God that's there for them to utilize becomes idolatry to them. This is why some guys, God wants to bless everybody in business. But some people, when they get into business, they get into a place where the very thing that God told them to conquer, conquers them. And they become a slave to the very thing that God wanted enslaved. I hate to use that word when it comes to that, but God wants business to be something that we oversee, not something that oversees us. But anyhow, that's something to the side there that we have to look at. God again gives his promise in 25 and 26, you shall serve the Lord your God. He'll bless your bread and water and I will take sickness from your midst and none of you young Shall none, none shall lose her young by miscarriage or be barren in your land. I'll fulfill the number of your days. And I mean, God's a pretty good God to follow. <laughs> I just want to read this first, though, before we actually start to read these next few verses. 
He said, I will send hornets. While some commentators say this may have been literal hornets, as is recorded a few times, by far the inference is felt here to be figurative in that it speaks of the testimony of God seen through his deliverance of his people previously. In other words, that the hornets that God is going to send. Now, this is where, well, let me just read the next paragraph. Today, sadly, the church does not carry this powerful testimony of the Lord's presence with his people as it should, thereby the reason why we must aggressively return to the ancient ways of obedience. In other words, before we go into displacement, we have to read that one part. God's intent was that the hornets, in most cases, that went before his people was the testimony that went before God's people of how he had delivered them so mightily from so many things. Now, like I just said, I'm just repeating myself, but sadly today we don't carry a big testimony, do we? Not, not, in, not anywhere near like we should, because again, we've got so much false teaching. We've got so much unbelief. Like I said, this, God help us, this nation's been baptized in unbelief and pickled in it. And we're having to dig ourselves out from this hole where people are afraid to be individualistic. People are afraid to take risks because, you know, there's that thing in England. I forget who said it. It was an Englishman that said it, not me. So don't anybody get mad at me about how, how the moment you step out to do something, uh, you kind of stop real quick and go, oh my God, I've stepped out from the midst of, is it okay? Am I doing all right? I didn't do this wrong, did I? And, you know, and there's this panic that comes in that I don't do something out of form. I must be in the right form to do this. And so there's this, this thing that we have to break past. We've got to break out and realize that, you know, we've got to be, deli- well, we've got to be delivered from the fear of man. You know, the fear, of, you're not, we're not called to fear of man. If God speaks, God speaks. And God, I believe, still speaks today. So, you know, Dr. Sumrall used to tell us, he said, you know, he said, if you go into a city and God tells you to do something, and he said, I know you're supposed to do your best to try to get along with all the other pastors and preachers. He said, but I want to tell you something. He said, if you wait till you get everybody to love you and agree with you, he said, you're, he said you've had it before you ever begun. He said, you have to understand something. And this old man, you know, like I said, was so powerfully used to God. He said, if God tells you to do something, you just do it. He said, because the credentials that you'll bear, if it's of God, the credentials that you'll bear will be marked by God's anointing, not by some man's testimony, not by some man's approval. So ultimately, that's why, again, some of us, we have to get back. But then I, I wrote at the bottom of this, like I said, even before I get to this, that this is why, well, today, sadly, the church doesn't carry this powerful testimony of the Lord's presence with his people as it should there by the reason why we must aggressively return to the ancient ways of obedience. And on the next page, I've typed out this whole passage from Jeremiah. So let me just read it again. I'm going to try to move swiftly. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 19 of the Amplified Bible. To whom shall I, Jeremiah, speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, never brought into covenant with God or consecrated to his service, and they cannot hear or obey. Again, talking, you know, to all of Israel and Judah. Behold, the word of the Lord has become to them a reproach and the object of their scorn. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of restraining it. I will pour it out on the children in the street and upon the gathering of young men together. For even the husband with the wife will be taken, the aged with the very old. And their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. In other words, this is not what he wants to do, but what he's, he's finding himself in the position that he's going to have to do. Again, God help us understand covenant. When God brought judgment, it wasn't because God enjoys judging. 
It's because covenant said, when you did this, I do this. When you do this, I do this. For God to fulfill the covenant, judgment had to come because the people voluntarily had entered into the covenant. Anyhow, verse 13, for the least, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness, to greed for unjust gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed also the wound of my daughter, of my, excuse me, they have healed also the wound of the daughter of my people lightly and neglectfully saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Verse 15, were they brought to shame because they had committed abominations, extremely disgusting and vile? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor could they blush at their idolatry. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. So thus says the Lord, verse 16, stand by the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths. Where is the good old way? Then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is what you and I face today, but we're still called to ask. And I think that's something important for us right now in this nation we're to call and stand in the roads and ask. I mean, this is something you do in the spirit, but you're to ask for these old eternal paths to be something that's very alive for people today. I'm just talking about our worship, our prayer, everything. But there are some eternal truths that run through the Old Testament and the New Testament that are principles and patterns that are there. You know, talking with somebody even during the break, you know, it's so sad. You know, there's so many people that fight for their right to, I don't know, they divide over anything. They'll divide over anything. They get legalistic about stuff. And there's eternal truths in Scripture, you know, like one of them being the honor of God in your finance, the, uh, the petitioning, or just the coming to God in prayer. I mean, these are things that, you know, they're eternal paths that you have to hold on to. But anyhow, stand by the road. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask. Ask for the eternal paths. Where is the good old way? Then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you, saying... Hear and obey the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen or obey. Therefore, hear, O Gentile nations, and know, O congregation of believing ones, what great things I will do to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing evil upon this people, the fruit of their thoughts, their schemes and devices, because they have not listened and obeyed my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. So, unfortunately, the case is that just... Again, I want you to hear if anything else, so many people read the Old Testament and they read it causative. They read it like God causes evil. God, the last thing on earth God ever wants is judgment. And again, in intercession, you'll learn that often God will show us things to come so that they can be averted. But some people today, when they hear about how God's going to judge, now I could, I could quote some uh, newsletters that are out there right now. The moment that God reveals that judgment's coming, all they do is make tons of newsletters about the fact that judgment's coming. But what they don't understand is God shows us when judgment is coming so that we can do something about it, not trumpet the judgment itself, but begin to speak the solutions round about it, begin to say, but we can, you know, we can change. We can do something about this. Now, that's, anyhow, that's that one part. We need to call for the ancient past. Like I said, I got to move quickly. Now, actually, the actual issue of displacement. Now, let me read Exodus 23, verses 29 and 30. Because this is an important principle that, again, is throughout Scripture. God's Word, God, in God's wisdom, this is what He says to His people. 
Now he's referring to all the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, all of these peoples who are, as it were, enemies of the, of the counsel of God, enemies of the people of God. Like I said, if you have a Cruden's concordance or a good concordance, Cruden's, is an, is, they hardly ever find them anymore. I've got an old one. But in the back of Cruden's is every single personal name in the, in the whole Bible and the meaning of what the name actually means. But the Hittite, Jebusite, all these are types. They're all names of different things that come against the people of God today. But he says here, I will not drive them out from before you. But let's look at this as the principle of intercession now. God said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Until, excuse me, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate for lack of attention and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and are numerous enough to take possession of the land. That's really simple, but do you hear the wisdom of God in this? Now, it's not that God doesn't have the ability to wipe them all out in a moment, but here's where, like I said, my spiritual dad, Dr. Cole, would always make that statement. It's always easier to obtain than it is to maintain. You hear me say it all the time. You see, the issue with God isn't so much getting something, it's keeping something. And uh, I've already made reference, in fact, to Dr. Sumwell a few, three or four sessions back about a woman that he wouldn't, when a woman brought her little niece, how he would not set this little girl free from these demonic influences that she was under because she was still living with her parents who had dedicated her to the devil. Because he said, I'm not going to do that. Because he said, until she's brought out of that environment, I don't want to put something, I don't want to do something for it. It's only going to cause something worse later. And people argue about that, but these are real things. The spirit realm remembers where everything's real. And these are real issues with God. So this principle of displacement, when you talk about territorial spirits and all these other things, the first, when I wrote that curriculum on, on spiritual warfare many years ago, if you, you, most of you have heard my tapes and you've seen the, the notes or what have you, I have that one lesson on territorial spirits about what the Bible really says about it. And indeed, the Bible does speak to the fact that there are spirits over particular territories. But the issue isn't so much about whether or not there's spirits over particular territories. The issue is how you wisely deal with these things. This is why, again, there is such a reproach against the whole message of spiritual warfare because some people do preach some idiotic things in the name of spiritual warfare. And, you know, and I don't, and I've said, Julie, either one of us have ever, we don't believe in shouting at the devil. We never have believed in shouting at the devil. We believe that God speaks strongly to us sometimes and we do address spirits when God tells us to. But it's not a daily event that we do. We don't wake up every morning looking for devils to rebuke. We're not devil-centered. We're Christ-centered. At least we're trying to be. The book is a Christ-centered book. So there is a lot of stuff out there that comes against this message, which is proper. I mean, it's right because people, we, we, are, we go to extremes, don't we? Human nature is to go to extremes. And people will go to extremes. And I've always said from day one, if you want to know what real spiritual warfare is, the strongest level of warfare you'll ever walk in is to live holy before God. Because when you live holy before God, that really upsets demons. That's what displaces the devil. But displacement is what the Bible teaches. Because even Jesus Christ himself spoke to this. And even in Luke 4, I won't go there, but I'll quote it again. Even remember in Luke 4, when Jesus is tempted by the devil himself, remember, he's out there fasting for 40 days. He comes back. Satan himself comes and confronts him with the three Categories of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the verse after when Jesus says it is written, 
And you know, and finally, and, and finally, it says, the next verse says that Satan then left him, in the Greek, and in the Amplified, it says Satan then left him temporarily until a more opportune time. Now think about, they we're talking about the master himself, Jesus Christ himself. Now if Jesus Christ, who is so much more powerful than the devil, that it's, it's silly, if Jesus Christ said, if the word of God says that even in his confrontation with the devil, that the devil only left him for a while, in other words, he's going to return, then who are, us to, who are we to think that, you know, hell's not going to try to come back? You know what I'm trying to say in some situations. This is why it's difficult for some people to receive this truth, that this is, this is, we have to learn how to maintain. And again, I quote Francis, you don't declare war on hell on Monday and then decide on Tuesday you don't want to fight. If you bite into this stuff, you bite in to stay in. Because those forces are real. That stuff is real out there. And they've seen it all before. Again, quoting Francis, Satan is an ancient and a treacherous foe. He's seen it all before. And so the issue is to build God a tabernacle. The issue is to build a house of praise, to build a house of prayer. The issue is to bring such a presence of God through our worship that it displaces those who are worshiping the devil and don't even know it. You do understand that devil worshipers are not people that wear horn suits most of the time. People who worship the devil are people that are out in the streets that are serving the devil that don't even know it to a degree, if you see what I'm saying. They're worshiping. They don't know it, but they're worshiping the devil. And so that's why the devil manifests. Well, we, all we have to do is worship God, and God's bigger. Hallelujah. And if we'll just continue to worship God, to, to think on the things of God, to speak the things of God, to live for God, to do our best to walk before God as, as holy people, all knowing, always knowing that we'll never be perfect, you know, but being quick to run to our mediator when we do make a mistake, we begin to displace the darkness. Anyhow, before you displace darkness in a city, you need to displace it in your own life. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny to me that some people are trying to take authority over territorial spirits when they haven't even taken authority over personal spirits. <laughs> oh, well. Did you hear me? In other words, they're involved in something they're trying to cast devils down over a territory, and they, you know, they can't even win the victory over their own hangnail. So give me a break. I didn't say God won't use you, but I mean, let's get, let's get serious about something for a moment. So he said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate for lack of attention and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased. The key is you need to increase. You need to increase enough so that you can take possession of this issue or you take possession until you become numerous enough. And this is why we want to train people that actually realize for the rest of my life, wherever I live, I'm going to take my post in my house. I am going to be a house of prayer. Our house, as for me and my part, I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but every day of my life, I'm going to release the authority of heaven in where I live, in my block, in my arena, in my arena of influence, every day of my life. I don't have to be a minister. I don't have to have a license behind my name. I don't have to have letters behind my name. I'm a believer. I have a covenant with God. I can take communion with God every day of my life. I can make a difference right here. I don't have to have a pastor's license. I am a child of the king. So in my own household, in my own neighborhood, I, I can make a difference. So I'm going to. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, you either choose to, to be part of the problem or be part of the solution. Why not be part of the solution? 
But can you imagine all the people who say, I don't want to get involved because after all, I don't understand it all. Just get involved. Understanding comes once you get involved. Anyhow, but point four on the bottom of page 32, I just simply put this, small steps are good. Everybody say small steps are good. God's wisdom is seen in, in Exodus 23, 29, and 30 that I just read. He will not drive their enemies out too quickly as they won't be able to maintain what they've obtained. And that's God's best, not just to experience, but to abide in his promises. I've also said, see Exodus 17, 1 and Deuteronomy 7, 22. Those are the verses where it says God always delivered his people by stages. In other words, he takes you from stage to stage to stage. He doesn't take his people into fullness of freedom instantly because they can't handle that. God does what he does by stages. Turn to the next page, and it's just the scriptures that I just already quoted. So look, go to point five on Matthew Henry's commentary of the above. Quote, he would do it gradually in wisdom, not all at once, but by little and little. As the Canaanites had kept possession till Israel had grown into a people, so there should still be some remains of them till Israel should grow so numerous as to replenish the whole. Note the wisdom of God is to be observed in the gradual advances of the church's interests. It is in real kindness to the church that its enemies are subdued by little and little. For thus we are kept upon our guard and in a continual dependence upon God. Corruptions are thus driven out of the hearts of God's people, not all at once, but by little and little. The old man is crucified and therefore he dies slowly. God in his providence often delays mercies because we're not ready for them. Canaan has room enough to receive Israel, but Israel's not numerous enough to occupy Canaan. We are not straightened in God. If we are straightened, it is in ourselves. This is very old English here because this is written back in, I think, 1815. The next paragraph, the land of Canaan is promised them in verse 31 in its utmost extent, which yet they were not possessed of till the days of David. And by their sins, they soon lost possession. The precept annexed to this promise is that they should not make any friendship nor have any familiarities with idolaters. Idolaters must not so much as sojourn in their land unless they renounce their idolatry. Thus, they must avoid the reproach of intimacy with the worshipers of false gods and the danger of being drawn to worship with them. By familiar converse with idolaters, in other words, hanging around people that are idolaters, by familiar converse with idolaters, their dread and detestation of the sin wears off. They would think it no harm in compliment to their friends to pay some respect to their gods, and so by degrees, they would be drawn into the fatal snare. Note, those that would be kept from bad courses must keep from bad company. It is dangerous living in a bad neighborhood. Other sins will be our snares if we look not well to ourselves. We must always look upon our greatest danger to be from those that would cause us to sin against God. Whatever friendship is pretended, that is really our worst enemy that draws us from our duty. Now, one thing that you see in reading these old statements like this is just like, again, I think I quoted the last hour. See, God's will is, he said, I'm going to deliver you little by little because you're not numerous enough to possess the land. Um, you might go in, you might have more power, but he said, I want you to maintain what you obtain. What Henry speaks of is something very similar in that he speaks about 
the why God brings the whole issue about getting rid of idolaters and about what it means to be in friendship with them is because he talks about the gradual affection that you begin to take to yourself, all in the name of wanting to love those who are still lost in sin. This is the difficult part because we have to strike a good balance because where Israel made a mistake is they became exclusive. They stepped totally out of the world. Therefore, they had no impact upon the world. We're not, we're, we've been called out of the world, but we're still in the world. We're called to not be of it, but we're called to be salt in it and light in it. So God's never meant for you and I to, again, like I said before, join a monastery, live on a mountain where we never see anybody who doesn't know God. But the gradualism, you see, is what you both, both of us have to see. Whether it be in prayer, you have to be aware. It's wonderful if indeed God does bring a mighty deliverance instantaneously in a particular situation. I've seen some of those. You've probably seen some of those. But not when it comes to a city situation or a community situation or a national situation. Uh, he may do that in these last days, but you know that's because things are pressurized. But thus far, he hasn't done it like that. It's always been gradual through the continued continued layer upon layered obedience of God's people. And I'm just saying, this is why, again, what you learn in reading all these things about Moses is just what it means to have courage for the long haul. Do you hear me? You have to have courage for the long haul. But again, quoting Dr. Cole, everybody today is, suffers from magic wand theology. They expect somebody to come in and go, boom, and everything's fixed right now forever, perfect. And while that may have happened on occasion, it's not the rule. So small steps are good steps. He said, I'm not going to do this uh, overnight, he said, in this land. Because, I mean, just think right now. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take time right now. But just think about some of the factors like in the city right here. If God was to deliver everything perfectly or what I mean, like if all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell on the House of Parliament and Commons and the whole place blew up in the Spirit, and everybody in there got saved. Well, we would rejoice like something fierce. But that would be happening here in, in, in London. And then you'd have all kinds of situations happening all over this nation that would combat it and come against it. And there would be fights left and right. I'm just trying to say there needs to be not an experience. An experience isn't, isn't as important as a conversion. God help me find the right words. Somebody experiencing God by seeing a manifestation of his spirit is one thing. That's not as powerful as a conversion. Conversion is something that happens over a period of time because of a new way of thinking, a renewed mind, a, a brand new way of thinking that comes and you get converted in the way you think. I'm just saying that's what we're after here. We're after people being converted from one lifestyle to another. Experiencing a deliverance is important. Don't mishear me. Experiencing that kind of freedom is important. I want to see miracles every day of my life. I mean, I, I long for the days when you and I walk down the streets and like you've heard me say, and the Spirit of God comes on us and we see my favorite thing that I look for more than anything is, is I know that I know that I know God's promised me and I believe he's promised us all, but I'm looking forward to seeing retarded children made whole. You know, inst instantaneous. There's a lot of miracles. I love them all. I'll love them all and you'll love them all. But my longing is to, is to see like little mongoloid kids instantly make, made whole and, 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 and other kids that, you know, that, are, that, have been, that are mentally retarded just instantaneously made whole by the power of God. I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to. My prayer is, God, please keep me alive long enough to see that. I, I want to walk in that. I want at least, I don't care if I'm the one that, 
that gets to speak anything, I, even if I can just be there in the room, you know what I mean? I just want to, I just want to be around when all that happens. I mean, I've seen some things, but that's what I want to see. Now, this whole thing about displacement, point six on the next page, Jesus confirms this truth in his teaching on the strong man, Luke 11, verse 21 through 26 in the Amplified. He said, when the strong man, fully armed from his courtyard, guards his own dwelling, his belongings are undisturbed, his property is at peace and secure. But when one stronger than he attacks him and conquers him, He robs him of his whole armor on which he had relied and divides up and distributes all his goods as plunder and spoil. He who is not with me, siding and believing with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me and engage in my interest scatters. Now when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, he roams through waterless places in search of a place of rest, release, refreshing or ease. And finding none, he says, I will go back to my house from which I came. And when he arrives, he finds the place swept and put in order, furnished and decorated. And he goes and brings other spirits, seven of them, more evil than himself. And they enter in and settle down and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So that's simply, again, the teaching where once you displace something out of a person... What God wants is to make sure that you find not just clothing and stuff to put on them, but that you replace another spirit. When you work with individuals, like I said, I was blessed because I was discipled through Teen Challenge. And I saw a lot of people get delivered from some strange things. But we were in a good place in that we had like teams of people and the people who got delivered couldn't go anywhere because they were there for nine months. And I watched the difference. All I'm saying is over the years, I watched the difference between people who were put in a position where they were consistently surrounded by people who exhibited and exposed them to God's spirit five days a week, or excuse me, seven days a week, you know, all day long, as opposed to people who got delivered in church services and went away and found themselves in great trouble later. I don't want to harp on this matter because, see, what I don't want to do is I don't want to do what I preach against. I don't want to put fear on anybody. But I am just saying this. that If you will take the time to dig deeper in these matters, you'll find, well, you'll know this when you get to heaven. It was the mercy of God, like Henry said there about some of the land. It was the mercy of God when you prayed for some people that they didn't get delivered because of what they would have been around. Now, you may think I'm crazy for saying that, but you'll find out why a lot of things didn't happen because God withheld some things in some situations because God's smarter than you and I. And he knows if there's not, because remember, the ideal of church is not what we have today. The ideal of church was a full-blown community of people who met daily, and worked, with the, worked around each other on a daily basis, who watched over each other, who kept each other, who, who weren't bound by law, but they were bound by the bond of peace and the spirit of love. And so they were able to work with each other and be their brother's keeper and be their, be their sister's keeper. And people were in a community where they could be protected. And people were not afraid. They would stop you and they would say, I mean, when you read the stuff, even the old Wesleyan stuff, I mean, it's incredible how people were assigned 
to people for long periods of time, for the first year and a half after their quote-unquote conversion, how they had three or four people assigned to them that visited them thrice daily, it says. That it would visit them sometimes four or five times daily. And they would say that old statement that Wesley would say, how is it with thy soul, brother? How is it with thy soul, brother? They would mean it. How is it with thy soul? What are you going through? Because they were being discipled. We don't disciple much today. We preach at people. You know what I mean? We preach at people, but discipleship is another level. It's a whole other situation. We have very little discipleship. So some of the things that we say when I make these kind of broad flashing comments, they sound so foreign to us because it's something well, way beyond the realm of our experience. That's why it is important for every one of us to be a little bit of a student of church history. Because you see why some of the things worked that they worked is because there was a real discipleship process that was built around the format of God's love. Anyhow, I'm sorry. I can't, do it. I can't go anymore with that. Point seven, I said, read Proverbs. We won't go there. And I said, questions, which is more powerful, wisdom or knowledge? And that sounds like a silly thing, but it's because Proverbs talks about wisdom. And I put down in the next little box, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Let me just say real quickly, if you want to write this down, wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. The difference between, the basic difference between knowledge and wisdom is that while knowledge is the accumulation of facts, wisdom is the ability to put that knowledge to work. Wisdom is the ability to put that knowledge to work. And let me just read why wisdom is the principal thing. I mean, that's not even one of the scriptures I put down there. But one of the scriptures I've tried to quote most of my life, I think it's Proverbs 9, where it says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. For she will bring you to honor when you embrace her. But wisdom is the principal thing. That's what scripture says. Wisdom is the principal thing. I want to go to Ecclesiastes and just read these two verses. Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Proverbs, remember. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7... Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 19 simply says this, True wisdom, true wisdom is the strength to the wise man more than ten rulers or valiant generals who are in the city. But verse 19 in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, True wisdom is the strength to the wise man more than ten rulers or valiant generals who are in the city. Don't just read that quickly. See, wisdom is what gives you strength. Wisdom is more powerful to possess in situations when you go into prayer, this is why, again, if, if there's any prayer that every intercessor needs to pray every day of their life, it's that prayer from James. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. I mean, ask God for wisdom. Now, the Greek word in the book of James there for wisdom is Sophia. It means the big picture. I love that. It means the big picture. So many of us, you see, in prayer, we're dealing with little details here, and we'll get clogged down with the details and what God wants you to do is back up sometimes and get the big picture. The way he showed it to me many years ago in prayer was he said, Rod, you're so busy shooting at the, you know, like on the chessboard, there's pawns and there's bishops and there's rooks and there's knights and there's, you know, queen and the king and what have you. And he said, Rod, you're so busy shooting at the pawns. He said, you can waste all your time dealing with the pawns because the pawns are many. But he said, if you'll rise up and elevate your position, if you'll elevate yourself to pray from where you're seated, he said, what I want to do is show you some generals. I want to show you some of the people that are in command of some of these things. I want to give you some wisdom so that you can pray more accurately. You'll have far greater effect with far less effort. 
And I had to learn that. And this is why uh, where I was uh, a while back, you know, somebody wanted me to do some teaching on just prayer strategy in a city. And I said, well, you know, and I, you've heard me share this, but I said the simplest thing on earth, I said, instead of spending all your time running around cursing every porno shop and every what have you, I said, just ask yourself some questions. I said, in every town and every area, there are individuals who everybody knows carries great power of darkness in some way, shape, or form. And the way I used to share it in the States is this. I'd ask these guys, just tell me, you know, in your neighborhood, talk to the kids on the street and ask them, who's the guy that everybody's afraid of? Who's the toughest guy in the area? You know, the baddest dude on the block. You know what I mean? Ask some business people that know. Ask some people, who's the businessman that's the most corrupt, that everybody knows this is a rotten landowner, he's a rotten whatever. I mean, just ask yourself some simple, logical questions. Who are the people that everybody knows is evil? Do you hear what I'm trying to get at? I mean, it's amazing. You see, this is why I said the children of this world are wiser than the sons of men. Because you can go and you can discover from people that aren't even saved who everybody is afraid of, who everybody knows is crooked, who whatever, and they're the ones that you target. Because they're the ones that are the influencers from that darkness, that dark position. And that's what Paul was, remember? This is what I mean. We need to get more Paul saved. And see, a lot of these people that are bound in darkness are simply trophies right now of hell that are, are, are... ordained by God to become trophies of heaven. I mean, to a little degree, I surely don't want to put myself in that position, but I'm one of them. You're one of them. I mean, you know, my, my background was such, like I said, that every, you know, I was on television and all this kind of stuff when I was arrested and, you know, they had all this stuff all over TV because of my quote-unquote reputation. Now, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that, please hear me, to pat myself on the back and then like that, but when I got saved, it blew a lot of people's minds. And I mean, I got more than saved. I didn't just start going to church. You know, I, I'm actually in the ministry. Don't know if any of you know that. But, but you, know, and God's, you know, and God's allowed me to travel the world and what have you. And when I go back to my own hometown, it's, 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 I'm, I'm very much a sign and a wonder to some people. Now, to some people, I'm just still old dingy rod, you know, and I will be for the rest of my life. But what I'm trying to say is to some people, what happened to me caused the change in them. It blew their minds because I was one of those guys that said, he's the last person that we ever would have expected would have got saved, much less doing, I mean, he's not just, this dude isn't just a church going guy. This guy actually does this stuff all the time. I mean, the way, you know, the way worldly people describe what you do is really funny. You know what I mean? But I'm saying, you see, those are the people that you'd begin to target. And I remember, I know the three, two girls and one guy that targeted me because when I was almost dead in a hospital from an overdose, I'd been pronounced dead. Uh, three times. Uh, I was in a coma for 11 days and, you know, I, I died, like I said, two or three times. I forget now. I don't, it's a long time ago. <laughs> but the, the two girls and the guy that, that targeted me in prayer came and visited me in the hospital and began to tell me about God's plan for my life. And I remember looking up at him with tubes all on my body going, oh, oh, <laughs> okay. You know, I didn't know what they were talking about. But then I saw him later. You know, I remember getting saved and going around and wherever I went and coming back and these people coming to me and they said, you remember when we visited you in the hospital? And they showed me journals where they'd been praying for me. Do you know what that did to me? Long before I was saved, blew my ever-living mind. Now today I have some journals. Do you have journals? Anyhow, I'm just saying, see, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. True wisdom is more powerful in your possession than ten generals. 
See, 10 generals. This is, this is what we're after. So you need to ask God. James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask God for wisdom right now. Ask God for wisdom right now. He says, Father, grant me wisdom. Give me the big picture about this situation. I need the big picture. Show me the queens and the kings and the bishops and the knights. I don't want to keep wasting my time with pawns. Show me how to make a bigger difference as I pray. Show me the spirit behind the thing. I keep attacking the thing when you want me to address the spirit behind the thing. God grant me wisdom. And then use your faith. The Bible says when you pray, believe that you receive. So say, Father, I believe I receive it. Just say that. Father, I believe I receive the wisdom. In Jesus' name. I turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 real quickly. This is that wonderful, wonderful passage that Francis has in his, Francis Frangipon has in his introduction that I always use. It says in verse 14, there was a little city. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 14. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Listen. But there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man seriously remembered that poor man. Now, I want to stop there for a moment, but did you hear that? There was a great king besieged the city. Great king, all the power, the chariots, the weaponry. But there was found in that city a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet nobody remembered him for it. See, the issue, there's a lot of things there to be seen, but the point is, don't, I've said it before, enough said, don't look for recognition. But cry out for wisdom, because all God has to do is give one person a strategy from heaven, and you can see all kinds of things get unwrapped. Every day of my life, I, that's why I read Proverbs so much. I, I, you know, I practice what Dr. Cole taught me all those years. Every single morning of my life, I read the, today's the 16th, I read the 16th chapter of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs. I read a book, a chapter, a chapter of Proverbs every morning. Every night, I read five psalms. Tonight, it'll be Psalm 85 through Psalm 89. Because you need wisdom in the morning. You need courage at night. You get wisdom from Proverbs. You get courage from the psalms. I do my other reading, but that's just something I've done for years. But I, I, but I love Proverbs because I love it like it says in what the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th chapters where it says, if, any man, if you will lift your voice for understanding, if you cry out for insight... And I mean, that's what I do. That's why I get alone. And I lift my voice and I cry out, God, give me insight. He said to do it. And if he said to do it, surely he's going to give it. And he has given me insight into things. And he's given you. But I'm just saying, you have not because you ask not. And again, you need to ask every day of your life, God, give me the wisdom that I need for this day. It's the quickest prayer you'll ever get answered. But you've got to know where to look. I mean, he'll give it to you, but it may not come through a person or through the mail. It may come through something that you see. Whatever. Wisdom comes in many different forms. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man seriously remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of wise men heard in quiet are better than the shouts of him who rules among fools. So wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. But the part we want you to hear is just this. Wisdom is better than weapons of war.
So see, we can talk about a lot of our prayer things, but the issue when it's all said and done is God help us to really, really, really get a hold of the wisdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we, we are in desperate need of your wisdom in these hours, to say the least. Now, we know that your word is wisdom. We know that it's, it's full of wisdom. But like we said, Father, we, can, we know, Lord, we've all watched what happens. We can read the Bible, memorize the Bible, and have a lot of knowledge of the Bible, and yet not have the wisdom to put it to work. So, Lord, knowledge can come by discipline, but wisdom seems to come by petition and asking and application. It's like reading a driver's handbook, Father. We can get the knowledge of how to operate a vehicle, but we've got no wisdom when it comes to driving because we haven't been behind the wheel. So, Lord, would you please help us? Grant us wisdom in these matters of prayer. Give us the patience to understand what it means to ask that every single day there is a wisdom that's waiting from heaven to be given us. What a wonderful thing that is to know, Father, that you're waiting to give us wisdom every day. But again, we have not because we ask not. So, Lord, we do, I just ask that you would help us to be diligent about this part of your wonderful wisdom and your wonderful knowledge because I know you long to give it. So we're going to lift our voice for understanding. And we're going to cry out for insight and we're going to trust you. You wouldn't tell us to do it if you weren't willing to give it. So whatever our personal situations are, you have wisdom and insight. Whatever our relational issues, our church issues, our business issues are, it makes no difference. There is a wisdom that's waiting to be given us from heaven. An application of a strategy that will set us into a place that's far freer than we walk in at the moment. So, Lord, I trust you to help us all in this matter. Let us, let us become very personally involved in this so that as we see you work in our own lives, we have a real testimony as far as trying to share these things with other people's lives. In other words, we can point them to the victories that we've already seen. So I thank you for it today, Father. We love you very, very much, Lord. And all I know is I'm so grateful for your long suffering and your patience with all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.